Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, Hi this, this is, is Natalie Lander, Lander voice, voice of Kinsey's Tarot, Brantford, Stargirl, and many, many others. others. You are listening to a W2Mnet podcast. You can visit W2Mnet.com for other podcasts about entertainment, video games, sports, and wrestling. Good evening, afternoon, whenever you happen to be listening, everybody, and welcome as the W2M Network presents the kickoff here, live to tape on the W2M Network. I am your host. My name is Harry Broadhurst. Joining me, as per usual, the executive producer and the anchorman, Eric Watkins. It only took me one episode and a couple of days to fall under the producer's curse, so um, things are back to normal. Some things never change. The unprofessional Jason Teasley. What up? Who appears to be drinking a milkshake as we're podcasting. That is correct. I'm on the Watkins. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Mama Watkins, I'll see you in two weeks. Maybe. Oh, you're coming to Florida? Yes, I am. Just to see you. And get some of that sweet, sweet love. Okay, let us know when you come. Uh, I will. Mama Freezing, people! Freezing! Jesus! <laughs> and there is Randy Isbell. I, I, I don't know how to, to follow that, so I'm just going to say hi. You, you can't. There is no way. There's no. Just as a heads up so you know, this was planned before you came in, and it's going to happen even though you're joining now. She's going to be a regular part of the show this season, too. There you go. I warned her in advance. Yes, I told you you're going to be a regular part of the season. So, yeah, about all of those predictions, I may or may not Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I just thought of something. You know how we're doing I'm a Survivor? Yeah. Her person, her portion could be called Mama Said Knock You Out. <laughs> My God, the man's a genius. <laughs> All right. You got you got that sound clip ready for me, Eric? Yes. Did you need any particular part of the song or just start it from just the beginning? Hit the open. Just hit the open, it'll be fine. Alrighty. Am I gonna be able to hear this or not? Yes. Okay, cool. Well, if I'm supposed to be able to hear it, I don't, but that's beside the point. I assume that the it, the audio came through, Eric. Okay, so then you can hear it in the background. The song you're listening to is obviously E.T. by Katy Perry. And for those of you wondering why you're listening to E.T. by Katy Perry on a a football podcast, there's actually a pretty simple explanation. Most of you know who 
listening to the show for a long time. You can kill the song now, uh, Eric. I did. I've heard enough Kanye West for one day. All right. Most of you have been listening to the show for a long time know that I was involved heavily with the local independent wrestling scene up here. Unfortunately, this past weekend, one of the members of said wrestling scene, Tom Troll Jr., professionally known as Eli Thomas, the extraterrestrial or the intimate warrior, and the E.T. Katy Perry music, passed away due to a blood clot. They say only the good die young. And in Tom's case, that was absolutely the truth. One of the nicest, most genuine guys I have ever met in a business that is full of fake and shallow people. Tom, you will be missed, good brother. Godspeed on your journey. Rest in peace, Thomas Troll Jr., a.k.a. Eli Thomas, 34. Really hating having to open every show like this, Eric. Okay, question. I wanted to do a quick moment of silence, which I did, but would he be mad that I gave this song a pass mainly because of Katy Perry and my pregnancy fetish? Um, A, family show. That's one. B, I feel like the reason he chose this song was because of Katy Perry. All I mean, right. it's, it's not quite the California girls with the whipped cream coming out of the boobs, but, you know, not bad all the same. Fair point. Fair point. Okay, um, if you happen to hear any random fapping sound throughout the remainder of the podcast... Oh, Jesus. Family show! And that's a real one. That one counts. So we're, what, one and a half? (laughs) Sure, let's go with that. You ready to go, Jason? I've been ready. All right. Randy, you ready to get started for the actual meat and potatoes of the show? Let's do it. All right, we head over to the news desk in the Anchorman, Eric Watkins. Well, 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 in a case of asking ye shall receive, the latest bit of contention in the National Football League has been whether or not we're going to have a preseason. The players specifically wanted a 21-day sort of workout period, then a 10-day period, or a 14-day period of ramping up to padding practices, followed by a contact acclimation period of 10 days prior to the beginning of the season. Well, that meant they did not want to have to deal with any preseason games whatsoever. The league initially wanted to play two, then they scaled that back down to one, and then today, both sides agreed that there would not be any preseason at all here in 2020. Randy, I'll let you start with your opinion on the lack of preseason football this year. Do you think it's a good idea or a bad idea? Um, as long as the practices go smoothly, I think it's a fine idea. Uh, I, I know we talked about it about a week and a half ago that you know injury concerns are always a thing during preseason or not doing enough preseason games, but that's going to happen anyways. I mean, most of the starters only play bits and pieces of these preseason games. It kind of sucks for those guys battling for those last roster spots, but I mean, this year has been so crazy anyways. So, I mean, might as well just cut all preseason games. I mean, the the owners wanted it because they were hoping they would have fans by then. Now it doesn't look like that's going to be the case. So there's no point in having them at all because there's no money to be made or anything. 
Jason, let's be honest. Trying to do one preseason game would have been a logistical nightmare based on having to figure out what teams could host them, what teams couldn't, and how teams would split the revenue from the games. Do you think it's a better idea for them not to have any preseasons and keep all the football in camp? Or do you think that there should have been a preseason game? Uh, based on the, uh, the climate of everything that's going on, uh, I'm typically for preseason games, at least two. I definitely scaling back, but based on everything that's going on, I, I'm okay with the no preseason games. The only downside of that is uh, I think you may see a, um, a spike in injuries uh, during the first two weeks, and you're going to see some uh, sluggish, sluggish, sloppy football. Um, because you're not going to have that real-time simulation that you typically would uh, in a couple of preseason games. And also, like we we stated before, some of those roster spots that people battling for are going to be thrown way up in the air and trying to get that figured out. Uh, you You may have a player get cut strictly by a veteran with name value over a player that that could actually potentially contribute to a team, uh, lose a roster spot to name value only. See, I'm going to disagree. I actually think that this will work out better for the teams as they select their rosters here because it will allow the coaches a more in-depth opportunity to look at these players on an individual basis and having them go after each other in in game-style formats. You can have the two guys that are battling each other for roster spots lined up against in similar situations in a in a simulated game almost in your training camps, and you would be able to get a better idea of how each of those players responds to the reads from those simulated situations. Eric, do you think that this is going to negatively affect roster spots, and do you think that it's a wise decision to step away from having the preseason games in their entirety this year? Well, I agree with Jason in the fact that given the current climate, plus with the numbers that came out today, that you had 59 positive tests just among players and a total of 95 positive tests for all players, staff, and personnel, the wisest thing is to not have any preseason games at all. Even though there are going to be logistical nightmares at the beginning of the season with different uh, testing protocols for fans, Plus, as Jason mentioned, you're going to see an increase in injuries, which on top of the increase in injuries from an already decreased training camp style because of the latest CBA, that was inevitable. But, that said, I don't think this will negatively affect those at the top of rosters because even with a lot of preseason games, you normally have 45 out of those 53 spots decided when you're coming into camp. Now... The one suggestion I would make for this is that since you're not having a preseason, you're going to have a reduced training camp roster size of 80 players to 90, that the NFL for this season temporarily expand the size of practice squads, similar to what they've been doing in Major League Baseball for this year. I was actually going to kind of suggest that myself. I was going to say that... um. I think it wouldn't be the worst idea for them to move to a to a twenty team to a twenty member practice squad rather than a rather than a ten member practice squad for this year. Yeah, 
I think that's a nice number because those that would have gotten roster spots or some of those rookies that you would need time to evaluate, or if there's a pause during the season, which there have been rumors that were addressed on the Pat McAfee show as far as reservations for hotel rooms, if there's any sort of natural disruptions within your team, you have a bigger pool, so you can get those rookies and other unproven players not only to put something on film, but in meaningful game opportunities to really test to see if you want to keep them on your roster for the remaining of the season or going into next season. My issue is um, this is and this is a real, real issue that we got to take into consideration. Uh, you said forty-five spots are pretty much given. What if? we run into the issue of players uh, basically boycotting due to the pandemic. And then you have to go with uh, backups and everything that may not be proven, or you may not have the enough players to actually fill, uh, fill the team. What, what kind of issue does that bring uh, into the equation? I would have to think that there's going to be some kind of like secondary squad this year that uh, allows players to like train together and stay inside of a bubble area where they're protected away from the virus and stuff and could still be called up to a specific NFL team if necessary. Randy, I saw you shaking your head there. You think we're, you think we'll see something similar? Yeah, absolutely. Um, will people drop out? Absolutely. I mean, we saw that in baseball. We've seen it in basketball. We've seen people go, it's not worth my health to – to Couple play a sport as well. Uh, I don't think we're going to get enough people where we're going to worry about filling a roster, but with football, it's going to be exactly like how these other sports are going to go here very shortly. It's all about depth. It's as far as coming up to uh, predicting who's going to do well this year. You're not no longer looking at the top tier guys. You're, you have to start going, okay, who has that best second string, that best third string? Cause a good chance with people dropping out and people getting hurt more more often, like Jason said at the beginning of the season, you're going to see a lot more depth, especially on the, the offensive and defensive lines. Eric, one of the questions that you were going to ask kind of ties into this whole no preseason as well. You mentioned that the, uh, the fans at the NFL games this season, well, certain teams aren't going to be having fans, and I know that was one of the talking points that we had planned as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Governor go. Cuomo and said, along with Governor Murphy, uh, fans for New York and New Jersey are sports teams, so they're Jets and Giants. No fans in the stands whatsoever. Now, this slightly bucks a trend that goes for teams like Jacksonville and Baltimore said that they're going to have reduced capacity, but it's rather you have something basically behind closed doors and create an enhanced experience, which has been done and quite successfully if you're looking at, say, the NWSL or the MLS's back tournament and soon-to-be NBA when they restart. It can be done. But it's rather have this and potentially start it on time, then be like some other uh, collegiate football conferences and now major high schools in the state of Texas that says... Let's scale things back a little bit. Let's wait. All right, let me ask you this. Uh, you mentioned the Jets and the Giants specifically. So this is from 
but you also mentioned Governor Cuomo, which would be the state of New York in general. Would this ruling affect the bills as well? My guess. Did they specifically be, state? My guess would be yes, even though naturally the bills weren't mentioned. Everybody leaps towards the Jets and Giants, but since this is a really a tri-state collaboration between New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut, sorry, Bills fans. No flaming tables as is or everything in the parking lot. And you're not going to have anybody in the stands that are cheering your guys on. I'm somewhat miffed because of the rabbit fan base, but it is indeed necessary. All right, Randy, as the resident Jets fan, did you have any intentions of going to a game this year? And if you would have, would this have affected your decision to go anyway? Again, I'm a Jets fan, but I live in the Northwest, so no, I had no <laughs> inclination okay, of going to a Jets not, fan game. That's not uh, necessarily true, though. You could do a cross-country pilgrimage for a game. Uh, People do uh, it all the time. Uh, I haven't uh, worked in four months. I don't have no money to go on a cross-country nothing. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, but Washington's almost... As a bit of a point, that same tri-state collaboration, you can't just go to a game because the state of Washington is now 31 states one of 31 states on a list to where if you go into the tri-state area, you must quarantine for 14 days. Oh, okay. So, so much for that anyway. But continue, Randy. Yeah, and, and Washington, I, I would not be surprised if they come out and say the same thing for Seattle with no fans. Uh, they just came out with local high school sports completely changing the schedule, and all high school football will now be played in February, hopefully. And... Now that instead of three seasons in high school sports, you know, fall, winter, and spring, they're do, they're cutting them into four, so all seasons are now shortened, and it's it's already a mess here in Washington. So I'm sure with Seattle sports, you're not going to see a lot of fans, if any. And honestly, it's, it's it's going to be weird. I mean, watching these baseball games with no fans, other than like cardboard cutouts, has been weird enough. But I, got to well, get I don't used know. To it. Watching Trevor Bauer rocking out in the stands eating ice cream during the Cincinnati exhibition <laughs> game was pretty funny. And I love the cardboard thing. I, I'm, let's just do it. I want to see MetLife Stadium completely covered in cardboard cutouts of people. Well, I mean, now, to, be, to be fair, most of their fans are cardboard anyway. Well, you know who this, this no fan rule will not affect? Washington. Teams like... Teams like the Miami Dolphins and Washington because they typically don't have fans in the stadium anyway. Eh, true, mostly. And, and, and the Chargers. Right. Well, did, weren't weren't the Chargers supposed to open their new stadium this year? <laughs> their new stadium, quote unquote. Uh, you know. The Raiders are supposed <laughs> to open their new stadium, too. That's what I was going to say. Wasn't the Raiders also supposed to open their stadium? Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if the Raiders, Raiders stadium does open, and I wouldn't be surprised if we see them at a diminished capacity fan base just in order to help ease some of the burden that the city's incurred by building the damn thing in the first place. Well, Vegas Vegas is pretty – I mean, they're not they're not doing too bad. Because their betting has been back in action, not to mention the international sports health. And I will say, speaking of Vegas and gambling, hashtag bet on Bovada, Bovada.lv. 
Uh, you're going to expect some crazy adjustments to some of those game lines for the first two weeks of the season. So, that's going to be one major secondary market that's really going to be interesting to analyze. Okay, a couple of things as we continue the show here. One, Jason, that milkshake sounded delicious. I'm jealous. It was pretty good. It looked like a Handles milkshake. No, it is a local little ice cream place down below my house that I actually bought them ice cream. I actually bought it on Sunday and just remembered it was in my freezer. Remember, folks, support support your local restaurants. What's damn it, Eric? No, because now I want to go and use my coupon off the Sonic <laughs> app and go get a milkshake. Thanks, Jason. Brandy, is it still early enough for you to go get a milkshake out there in the Pacific Northwest? Uh, it would have been before all of the, all of the shutdowns. I think all the local businesses close early now. So, no, that is unfortunate. All right, so we continue on from the NFL and its potential lack of fans to its guaranteed lack of fans, and we move into other aspects of the sport here as we continue the news desk. Eric, third story. Well, as we were talking about with Washington, yes, Segway! yes. You're changing your name, even though you will always be the redacted in our hearts. Yes, you, based upon this, have inspired a team from the Great White North in Edmonton to also change their name. The Edmonton Eskimos, for those wondering, will be changing their name in the Canadian Football League. Assuming the CFL is still a thing, we're not sure. They are. This season is dicey. They might focus on next season. Trudeau... Go ahead and prank fall down the stairs and help the team out. We know you're good at it. Trust us. It'll be better for you. Beside the point. But the good news is for the EE football team, changing their name is their only thing. For Washington, however, it's not. As 15 former female employees have opened a sexual harassment suit citing multiple instances and an overall hostile work environment. And if you ever want to say anything without really saying anything, take a note of the statement that was released by the team and Dan Snyder. Ron Rivera, man, what have you gotten yourself into? Okay, now I'm going to preface us discussing this by saying that this is a very sensitive topic. And I'm going to add an addendum. There are lines here that I do not cross. Take that for what it's worth. This is basically Me Too Football Edition. You guys remember the Donald Sterling situation in the NBA when he was forced out of the ownership of the Los Angeles Clippers? Yeah. Do you think we've reached the point with lack of institutional control that the NFL should take the franchise away from Daniel Snyder? No. Why do you say that, Jason? All right. Let me get up on my soapbox and let me piss people off. Let me dust this because... off here and uh, have my jogging shoes on standby. All right, because... Um, you know, I, I support any claim and every everything, but based on everything I've seen, and you know, this could be you know just a report I read. 
a lot of the claims are several years old. And I find it, you know, I'm, if anybody knows, listen to this or knows me personally, I am a very big conspiracy person. I think it's a matter of convenience that this does come out in the midst of the controversy of the name change and everything. Uh, and the, them pressuring Snyder to change the name and everything. And then not long after that it's announced, then you get this, um, you know, I don't advocate, I have a daughter. I don't advocate, you know, any sexual misconduct toward females or anything, but also I look at things from a realistic perspective that uh, convenience, be thy name, uh, surrounding the entire franchise. Back in a wind tunnel. I'm, I'm good. I can hear you. Continue. And uh, I know Randy had uh, Randy had something to chime in, so I'll go ahead and let him chime in. Now, I, I will say I, I totally get your point, Jason, about the convenience of it and, and it being very fishy about it being at the same time as the name change. But I want to take that point and turn it on you, and I, I have a, a question for you. Do you think that Snyder backed down on the name change because he knew this was coming? Because I believe now, if we think about it, all of these minority owners that have went, we want out, probably heard this was coming. So they wanted out when all of this yeah. was going on. And that came out before the name change started going on. So I think that, for, to use your point, is Snyder went, oh shit, things are going to hit the fan. Let me try to win some good graces, and we'll change the Redskins' name and see if we can get this to hide under the blanket. See, I actually think that I think that Randy might be onto something. I think that it might have leaked internally to certain members of Red uh, Washington Redacted Management. Almost said the name that things were going to go downhill fast, and they decided to get out while the getting was still relatively good, despite the good graces that the announcement of the name change would have given the franchise. I think that this is. Would you I, I, just... I sat on the fence a little bit about this? Because I see both logistical arguments. However, one thing I would hear from, or one set of people I would want to hear from, is the all of the sponsors. Because, let's face it, Snyder loves his money. Snyder is mainly affected by money. That's why he has principal ownership in a $3.4 billion National Football League franchise. Was it solely the pressure from those in the Native American community and others that had all of those assets and said, we're going to back out unless you change your name? Did they know that any of this was coming as well? Or was this something that was simply piling on? Yeah, There's that's that's my on both thing. Sides. Yeah, I think it's uh, you could say, well, they want out. Well, you also got to look at as you know the minority owners might have wanted out to avoid you know the backlash because they know S Snyder didn't want to change the name, 
and they didn't want that stigma on them either. Especially uh, since so, was on the, is on the board at FedEx. The stadium. Yeah, so so that you could take a look at. I mean, there's a lot of different angles you could look at this from. Nobody nobody's going to know the truth why they really wanted out because it wasn't just one or two of the minority owners. It was them collectively jumping on and wanting out. Uh, they, yeah, you could hear something, but you know what? If this could have been also uh, set up like the, uh, uh, the LA Clippers where they force they they know that this might be the only way to force Snyder out of ownership role in the NFL because if you get if you get if you get if you create enough controversy you know and like Eric said he he's ruled by money if you get the controversy started where does it end when the when the Funding becomes affected, and the partnerships start getting pulled out as long as he's owner, just like they did with the Clippers. I mean, short of examples of overt racism, such as what we saw from Daniel from Donald Sterling, I don't necessarily think that there's been a specific case for a lack of institutional control claim from any of the other major sports here. However, when you factor in the amount of serious allegations that are levied against the redacted organization, as well as Snyder's disposition to changing the team name in the first place from the the name of the racial background, I don't think there's any question that you can make the argument for lack of institutional control under Snyder for Washington. And I completely agree, but the reason why I'm siding with Jason and the fact that Snyder is not going to be forced out Look at the structure at the top of both these leagues. With Donald Sterling, Adam Silver is known as a very pro-player commissioner. He That's saw the fair. players openly protest, and that was enough to say, Donald, you gotta go. You're out. So, That's fair. Goodell's been a very owner-friendly commissioner. Exactly. Exactly. And with someone like it's a very good Dell, point, Jerry Jones, Stan Kroenke, all of them being silent on this, that leads me to believe, even though this is incredibly abhorrent, and in other situations with other leagues, yes, you would see pressure or at least exploration for that change. I don't see it happening here. And. I want to I want to throw in on that, uh, and this is something that does need to be brought to the forefront uh, in, with NFL owners. The NFL owners is a good old boys club. Agreed. That's been that's been pointed out. So if there was something like that, they're not going to, especially someone like Jerry Jones, who is a good old boy himself, that will back his fellow owners. I don't see them banding together. Um, and forcing one of their own out rather than with, uh, like Eric said, Goodell being a very owner-friendly commissioner. So you got to look at that that demographic as well. Owners are going to stick together, and you're going to see that you're going to see that uh, fluctuate throughout the league. 
Not to mention, let's also consider the fact that Jerry Jones is willing to take advantage of uh, Daniel Snyder's incompetence as the owner of Washington in order to continue beating their asses in that division. Not to mention, Jones Jerry Jones got stuff behind the scenes with Cranky to get the moves for Los Angeles to have football back to begin with. All right, I just kind of want to throw this question out there. Uh, I mean, All right, and, we'll, and then we'll move on. Yeah, it's just a quick question, and this is for Eric because he's our, our sports uh, info guru. Mm-hmm. How many minority owners are in the NFL? Shotgun, to my knowledge, is the only one. Exactly. I think there might be two. I'm thinking Jacksonville, and I'm thinking there's one additional one that I can't recall right off. But, again, you got to look at that. And that's something that they're, they're trying to do away with as well, getting more uh, a more culturally diverse ownership across so the NFL. Apparently- so apparently the Rooney rule only applies to players, not ownership. Yeah, exactly. Players, coaches, absolutely. But, but not ownership. All right, let's nope. move on here, Eric. Back to the news decks. Well, Topic number four. Well, college football has been spinning their wheels yet again. Some good instances, some bad. The Power Five continuing to make their moves with those main conferences that are either made decisions or could be on the verge of decisions as far as the structure of their seasons, namely the Pac-12, Big Ten, and SEC, they have either issued or are exploring opt-outs in the form of if players opt out or sitting this upcoming season, their scholarships will be honored and different issues as far as maintaining eligibility. But in the group of five and in the FCS, they have taken it a step farther. Farther, The MAC has delayed the start of their fall sports season, while the Colonial Athletic Association, the Patriot League, and the Mideastern Athletic Conference, uh, one of the two Division I FCS HBCU conferences, have canceled all fall sports together. Now, as an interesting note for the Colonial, especially with James Madison, participant in three of the last four FCS National Championship games. Colonial teams are allowed to pursue independent football schedules for this season, and James Madison themselves are looking to play a fall football schedule. I, I'm not surprised that more and more conferences, especially the um, the lower level conferences, are coming out and making this decision because I think a lot of it is a money thing as well, because they know that the revenue that's traditionally there for these marquee fall sports events isn't going to be there this year. That being said, I do appreciate the conference allowing the members of its own conference to opt out and create their own schedules if they feel that the safety protocols, and the ability to do so is there. A team like James Madison, yeah, they're going to want an opportunity. The Dukes are going to want an opportunity to be FCS national champions because they've been FCS national champions within the last couple of years. I want to say it was 2017 they beat Youngstown State in the final. Yes, right when uh, North Dakota State had a little bit of of a blip in their dynasty. 
Yeah, and I, I specifically remember that because of the fact that the Youngstown State Penguins, I'm from Youngstown, as long-time listeners know, were in the national championship game that particular Sunday in Frisco, Texas. So I appreciate that the conferences are allowing the teams the, uh, the ability to do so if they wish to do on their own. But let's be honest, the conferences that are making the decision to cancel these fall sports schedules are doing so because they know that the money that these schools traditionally rake in during the fall schedules won't be there this year. Absolutely not. Now, with what little leadership that there has been from Mark Emmert and the NCAA and kind of the meeting of the minds of the Power Five, I appreciate what they tried to do with coming out with the rules for FCS schools in terms of FBS bowl eligibility. Traditionally, an FBS school needs to win six games in order to be bowl eligible with one of those being against an FCS school. If you play a second FCS school in the season, you need to win a seventh game for bowl eligibility. About a week or so ago, the NCAA came out and said, two FCS schools will indeed count towards the traditional six-win bowl eligibility. That's good in principle. However, because of the scheduling, because of the issues as far as with testing, which I feel that if campuses do have the appropriate labs, and a lot of the top universities do, they should be able to insulate and handle testing extremely well. But because of that, I put out this idea on Twitter. Very long story of why I was awake at 8 a.m. on a Sunday morning, but I was, I had coffee, I tweeted, at Squid Sports Head, you can see the thread. Part of my idea was this. You're going to have a later start. Even the athletic director at Notre Dame is pushing for a later start. What you do for this season, you play conference only in the spring. Allow time, allow the vaccines to come, allow schools that are going to be virtual for fall semester, still do their thing and you have students on campus during the spring semester. You don't have to start it in January, have teams practice and ramp up in indoor facilities. You start a conference only schedule in February, nine games. You can wrap up realistically by April. You do not have full games for this season, none. But for an expanded playoff- Whoa, whoa, whoa. Go ahead. Uh, okay, go ahead, continue. Yeah. You, were, you were about to touch on my question. Yes, for an expanded playoff, your 10, all 10 FBS conference champions compete in the playoff for the 2020 season. Then for the 2021 season, since you're going to be wrapping up the 2020 season roughly in May, maybe the early part of June, depending on when you start, it's not going to be feasible to have a traditional start in August. So you push back that season to September or October. Give the players a rest. You remain conference only. You have a limited slate of bowl games for Power 5 runners-up, Group of 5 champions and runners-up. You can organize, I'd say, no more than a dozen. Then your Power 5 champions, they compete in a 5-team playoff. Then for the 2022 season, you compete as normal. 
See, I don't think that people are going to agree to the five power conference champions being in the playoff because, A, it's going to cause one team to have to play more than twice. Yeah, that would be the only, well, two teams because four would play five and if the winner well, yeah, of that that's, game got to the national championship, that's that what I mean. They third three times exactly. Yeah. The only way that I could see that working is if you're going to allow three wild card teams into there and make it an 18 playoff. I would not so like that, that, especially every, because you're still incorporating a slate of bowl games. You could still have those who are just on the fringes, and especially those top performers, really in a group of five as well, to still have some bowl games. I'd completely agree to that as well. B, you've already mentioned the main reason why your idea won't work. Money on the table? Uh, one, one institution in particular. Notre Dame? Exactly. There is absolutely no way that Notre Dame will give up its independent status and be forced into probably having to join the ACC long term in order to compete for a chance at those ACC championships in a shortened season. Now, under the expanded playoff, the only hitch where it would be affected with them as far as to 2020, yes, they have a preliminary agreement too. If schools go conference only, they would fill out their slate with ACC teams. That's up to the ACC to decide any sort of eligibility for Notre Dame as far as to 2020. But for 2021, under my plan, they could compete. If they don't have a deal with the ACC, they could immediately be one of those wild cards. They would be at a bit of a disadvantage, yes, but the door is open. Not to mention, in order, they wouldn't be able to fill their schedule with any kind of significant competition mm-hmm. if conferences go conference only. Right. Randy, your thoughts on everything laid out there as well as the idea behind more and more conferences waiting to pull the trigger on a season or lack thereof for this year. Yeah, I mean, with with t- or conferences pushing things back, I, I do think that we're more than likely going to see a spring season, if not no season, for college football. I, I like Eric's idea as far as expanded playoffs, but he has to understand they had to pull teeth to get a four-team playoff in a normal season. Oh, yeah. Right. They're, not, they're never ever going to expand it ever over this COVID stuff. If anything, we're not going to have a playoff at all. And they're just going to leave it up to the AP poll because Mm -hmm. the whole point of doing the the conferences is, is keeping the schedule easy enough. It's going to be a, a schedule nightmare and a huge, just like conference issue of going, well, this team gets this and this team's going to play that team. I, w- I more believe that we're not going to see a playoff at all this year instead of a 10-team kind of a thing. That's what we all want. We want expanded playoffs in college mm-hmm. football, of course. But I don't think we see any bowl games, and we might not even see – we may see either a national championship game or just we go back to the early 90s where we, we see in the paper that this team is, is the national champion. To, so I mean, but- so basically what you're saying is it's a, it's a return to the days of the BCS where we're, we're crowning a champion. We're before, using I mean, a champion. before the BCS. Or, I mean, you could use kind of the old BCS formula and get two teams at least for a singular national championship game. But at the same time, that you would have a lot less data 
for the Associated Press or even a BCS system, which the AP was part of, their polling counted for one-third of the coefficient in the early days. So if you're going with the BCS style, would you really have extra reliance on the computers? No, which is why I, I think that we won't see any kind of a championship and then it'll just be a popularity contest, which is going to be impossible because it's all conference versus conference. So who says which conference is supposed to be better anyways? It's going to be a mess. I feel, like Jason, I feel like Jason has something to chime in with this conference versus conference thing here. That means you're I, just going to get an SEC, the SEC bias that's going to come out and you're going to have a, a national champion out of the SEC because uh, the SEC is purely, uh, purely the golden child of ESPN and any poll that, and, and no other conference truly stands a chance. Uh, I have to agree with Randy. I don't think we're going to get any semblance of a a championship. If you do, you're going to have an asterisk beside it because. Everybody can state their claim to say, well, we never got to play play them. We know we're better than them. We never got to play to prove it. So how can you award them? So you're going to have a lot of controversy. So I actually don't think you'll have a national champion this year if you even have a season. I think you'll have conference champions, and that'll be it. I can see that too. See, I think conference championships would be enough in a situation such as this, though, because a lot of these teams here – well, the honor of being national champion is great and everything, and I'm sure there's an increased revenue and an increased visibility that comes with it. A lot of these schools are playing to beat their rivals in conference. Ohio State doesn't care about national championships as long as they fuck up Michigan on a season-to-season basis. <laughs> Florida usually doesn't care about national championships as long as we're beating Florida State. Now, we wouldn't be able to play Florida State under the current alignment because of the eight. The ACC goes conference only. That means no Florida-Florida State game this year. But then Florida would focus on other games against conference opponents, such as Georgia and LSU. Ideally, go ahead because that point. Hold on, Eric. Give me one second. If if it comes to that point, there, I think that these schools are going to be more than willing to focus on playing conference schedules only, just to crown a 2020-2021 college football conference champion to have that banner to, or that trophy to put in their trophy case. Yeah. Go ahead. Because if anything, that would be the really only trophy that would be available. Now, I was going to touch on what this could mean for the shockwaves of conference realignments when TV contracts expire in a couple years' time. Are we going to go back and see towards actual regionality rather than just cash grabs or are things going to even be a bigger mess but one other thing that you would mention especially with florida with this particular situation would the cocktail party be played really as planned because let's yeah we here in Jacksonville are all not always the biggest fans of things like social distancing and masks, unless we're told to. Um, I think that you would have the world's largest outdoor cocktail party game, but it wouldn't be with fans in the stands. 
gold. It would be fans with the the fans. Fans would be in the parking lot. Yes, what he said. Yeah, uh, you would you would see it like in the parking lot because the fans are in the stands, and you could uh, argue about say, hey, if this isn't going to be a big thing, does it have to be this specific neutral site this year? The only way that you're going to do that is if the two schools can come to an agreement as far as which school would get to host the game, though, and I don't think that either team would be willing to give that up. But that's a potential conversation. But for the main thing, with all of this, with these conferences, and especially with situations like we talked about in the past, West Virginia in the Big 12, Missouri in the SEC, would we, when these contracts are up for renegotiation and just beginning in three years' time, would we see a massive backwards sort of a realignment like we've seen a forwards realignment for conferences these last two waves? I personally with all, would think yes. With all due respect, I think this is a conversation that we're going to have on a future episode because this topic has already gone on for long enough. True. Right. I just want. I just. I just want to ask Eric one question yes. about his realignment thing. Is the NCAA a business? Yes. It is, and also the Power <laughs> the, Five is the business. It's a billion. It's a billion it's, dollar business. It's a billion dollar business. So. Yeah. So. So that answers your question. Will they do something fair, or will they do something for the cash grab? Of course, they're going to go for the cash grab. If this situation pops up again, I think they're going to regret it because you're right. The NCAA is a business, but FBS football is the business within the business. And mm-hmm. if all well, of the cries to get rid of Mark Emmert started by plenty of others, Feinbaum and myself included, to get him out so for someone who will actually have the fortitude to do something, there could be changes. But as Harry said, we could go on about this. All right. Uh, real quick, in that regard, uh, you can award Emirate your EAD later in the show, Eric. Done. Uh, I'm actually thinking about making that an actual regular part of the show for this season. We'll talk about that more off air. Final news desk item. Well, final news desk item, Eric. Hit me. That actually was my final news desk item, believe it oh. or not. <laughs> awesome. All right. So, before Randy joined the show, we were doing a thing we were calling the greatest of all teams. We were picking the best offensive and defensive player from every franchise in the NFL. Now, obviously, certain franchises have more history than others. So, we came up with the stipulation that in order for this person to qualify, it has to be, A, you're limited to one team. You cannot be the greatest player for multiple teams. And B, previous iterations of, of franchises from other cities count towards the current incarnation. With the exception of the Baltimore Ravens. They were their own team because Cleveland kept the rights to the Browns. The rights and the record books. So, technically speaking, um, we'll do this in a couple of weeks here. I believe it'll be the last division we do. The Tennessee Titans will have the Houston Oilers included in their history. Yeah, and then there will are other- be the last division we do because my team naturally 
being only ass into popularity in the NFL is going to be the last to be talked about. Where else? However, before we get to our current one here, Randy, you actually missed the AFC East. So, as a Jets fan, I will at least allow you God. to give your team's greatest of all teams. God, who, would you how... pick, who would you pick as your favorite Jets offensive and defensive player of all time? And then we'll let you know who we picked as a, as a collective group. That's so hard. Because, I, I mean, how can you not go Namath as far as, as the offensive player? Nick. Namath was unanimous. Right. Try it. And for me, I'm biased. I don't, I don't know. Like, I mean, I know Mark Ashno is fantastic, but he was before my time. Namath was before my time, too. But I mean, there's name another Jets quarterback. That was good. Uh, but for me, the best Chad player. It, it was. If his shoulder would have held up, he was really, really good. I, I love Chad. Uh, Sam Darnell in his celebrations. <laughs> but, but I mean, for me, Darrell Rivas probably be my best defensive player. By a two to one to one vote, Darrell Rivas won defensive player. Gastineau was one of the ones. Mm-hmm. What was the other one? Uh, Jason, you didn't pick Rivas, did you? Yeah, I took Rivas. So then it was three to one. My mistake, because uh-huh. I know Brandon took Rivas. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I took Grievous. All right, so you're in agreement with with, with what was the group. Yeah. And, and then, it's not that hard for the Jets, really. Well, I mean, for Buffalo, it was um, unanimous on both sides of the football, which might have been the only team no, that this was happened. It? Wait, who, who picked – didn't somebody pick Thurman? Yes, I did. Okay, well, it wasn't unanimous, but Buffalo, it was Kelly and Bruce Smith. Yeah, I mean that would make sense. I mean, I get I get the point for Thurman Thomas too, but yeah, that would make sense. All and right. then, hold on, hold on, I gotta throw this out there, just because this was controversy. Uh, who's the if you had to pick a the greatest New York Giant defensive player, who would it be? Uh oh. Oh geez, here we go. You said Giants defensive player? Yes. yes because, so it's controversial. So it's controversial. So you didn't pick Lawrence Taylor. No, there was, no, that's there the was obvious. Two, there was a two-two tie. Eric and Jason chose Lawrence Taylor. Myself and Brandon chose Michael Strahan. I just can't see it. I mean, Strahan obviously was fantastic, and does he still hold the sack record? He or does. Did he get passed. I mean, I, he, he, I, he, has, I, he has the sec record because he's best friends with Brett Favre, who decided to lay down for him. But, no, no. But still. That, I brought that up on the show. They had Brett Favre's mic. His exact words, under no circumstances am I going to slide at your feet and give you the record. That was about the only legitimate sack <laughs> that ESPN found from that season. I brought that up on the air. Just saying. But still, uh, I mean, Lawrence Taylor was just a freak. And, and did, thank you. Did Strahan main event WrestleMania 11? I don't think so. All right. So hold on. Hold Strahan on. Strahan does not get. I want no comments from Eric and Jason here because I want a legitimate answer for this question without any kind of bias in this, this question. 
Philadelphia offensively, do you go Cunningham? Do you go McNabb? McNabb. No. Ah, yeah. Suck it. I'd go Mc. I'd go McNabb. Uh, underrated. That guy was underrated. I mean, Cunningham's fantastic, but <laughs> I, I think McNabb is underrated. I think Eric just rage court rage crit the episode. You know what? I was gonna get a break, but damn it, I didn't put it in more of the refrigerator. Damn it, Isabel. <laughs> Eric just oh, rage man. quit the episode. There are some hard ones in there. I, honestly, I, I thank you guys for allowing me to, to to join on the NFC West, which I think was pretty easy. Yeah, the NFC West, I think, by and large, we more or less agreed on as a collective, and we'll get into that here. There are a few exceptions. There is a very noticeable one in the Silicon Valley that we will be discussing because I'm pissed about it. Why? But we'll get to that one in a few Let's start easy. Let's start unanimously. Let's start in Arizona. Like this was even a question, Eric. I mean, yes, of course, with the greatness of the Chicago Cardinals. Yes, with the mediocrity of the St. Louis Cardinals under Jim Hart at quarterback. Arizona's got them. They've always had them. Number one at the University of Pittsburgh. Number 11 in Arizona. Easily number one in your hearts, Larry Fitzgerald. I took David Johnson. You're funny, Jason. <laughs> no, it's it's Fitzgerald. I mean, the guy has more tackles than he does drops. I was just going to point that out. There was an ESPN infographic on Facebook last year that stated that Larry Fitzgerald has 64 career tackles and 46 career drops. It's crazy. Let that, it's let that crazy. sink in. Basically, what that is saying is that if that ball was anywhere in Larry Fitzgerald's vicinity, he was catching it. Rather, it meant he was about to take a shot or not. In my opinion, and this is going to be a very bold opinion here. You ready for a hot take, Eric? I'm ready. I'm giving you flashbacks to your other producer. <laughs> yeah, about Larry, him. Um, Larry Fitzgerald is the most underrated wide receiver in National Football League history. Yeah, I, I can I I can see it. Because how, he, how he's not one of the top five of all time is beyond me. I mean, you look at the top five of all time as far as wide receivers, most of them, if not all of them, have Hall of Fame quarterbacks for most of their career. Uh, you go back and just look at some of the quarterbacks that were throwing to Larry Fitzgerald after Kurt Warner retired. The argument it's, is... It's abysmal. The best of the bunch is Carson Palmer. Yeah. Carson Palmer, Kurt Warner, I mean, when he came to the team, wasn't Plummer still there? Let's see, he was 2004. Uh, Josh McCown, uh, yeah, Josh McCown's nearly second to last season. Palmer was 2002. Uh, Plummer, Jake the Snake Plummer. Yeah, he was, Plummer was done in Arizona in 2002. So it was before Larry Fitzgerald. Okay, right before he got there, Mm because I knew that was roughly around the same time frame, but... I really can't fight that. I'm sitting here saying 
potentially first ballot almost Hall of Famer. I don't think there's a potential. There's no potential. Yeah, underrated with that with him being the most underrated as wide receiver, I could make that case. I could legitimately like, make that case. We're gonna talk about another wide receiver later, and it's gonna piss me and it's gonna piss me off. Why? But even talking about that wide receiver later, I would argue that Fitz has had a better career than he had, despite the accolades that the one that we'll discuss later has for his career and the championships. Oh, we'll be talking about that. We will. Indeed. All right. So, defensively, it's a little bit of a cop-out, but at the same time, there is a particular reason that this person was chosen, and then there is a new story that I feel the need to discuss as well with this particular choice. Jason, I will let you take the lead here because you were the one who threw this name out originally. Yes. Uh, defensively, I don't think that you I, – I, I mean, when I think of the Arizona Cardinals defense flair, I think of Pat Tillman. Uh, not only for what he done as a defensive flair, for what the sacrifice he made for this country and the fact that he left the NFL to uh, – go overseas and died in a a friendly fire accident. Why overseas? Um, And I think that um, not only being the human, the athlete, and the patriot that he was, uh, I think a lot of people forget about that. And I just just went Pat Tillman because, like I said, I think Arizona Cardinal football defensive player – that's the first name that comes to mind. Eric. With honorable mentions to Calais Campbell and Aeneas Williams, it's got to be Tillman. I mean, not just for what he did on the field, even going back to his days at Arizona State, which, yeah, he was another one the Buckeyes screwed out of a national championship. And Joe Germain can kiss my ass, but that's not important. Everything that he did, the fact that he was right in prime position to sign a very lucrative deal because of that, but he said, no, we just had a very tragic moment in our country. I'm going to be the first ones to answer the call. I am really going to do what I feel is right. I'm leaving that money on the table. I'm leaving this. I am going to go to serve. And how he made the ultimate sacrifice to me was tragic. And I can only imagine what his career could have been had he made a different choice. But really, Pat Tillman. I mean, even if you saw the NFL 100 commercial with all of the kids during, I think, what was it, pregame or halftime show, the Super Bowl? It was pregame. Tillman statue. That should tell you everything. Jason's correct. It was pregame because they had the kid bring in the game ball. Yep. Yeah. So I nearly got my nephew to try to be into that commercial, but I figure it wasn't worth the fight with my sister. And plus, he would have had to be jogging, so. Oh, have you seen the way he looks? He could have passed off, but that's a different story. <laughs> Randy? Hey, with all due respect to Pat Tillman and everything he did, uh, I can't say that he was the best defensive player 
for the for the Cardinals. Uh, he was an okay player. Um, obviously, if we were doing best person on the defensive side, of course, Pat Tillman wins this hands down. But to me, it's Aeneas Williams. Uh, 55 interceptions, nine touchdowns. Was there for about a decade. Uh, is getting uh, Patrick Peterson. I think is getting close to that. But That's... Uh, to me, Aeneas Williams was the the defense when everyone was talking about their offensive side. All right. Uh, real quick, you took my honorable mention. It is Patrick Peterson, the focal point of the Legion of Boom in Arizona, or the Legion of Doom, excuse me, Boom in yep. Seattle. Yeah, we don't talk about them. But, but um, later. So focus on um, respect to Patrick Peterson. And, again, as well as Eric said, it's your pick and Eric's honorable mention with a secondary mention to Aeneas Williams as well one of the best cornerbacks that never got the credit that he deserved in the NFL. I'm with Eric and Jason on this one. I'm picking Pat Tillman solely for sacrifice for the country. Tillman walked away from a million do- a multi-million dollar contract to serve the country. The way that he perished is irrelevant in terms of the sacrifice that he made. I will take a I will take a single Pat Tillman over a dozen of any other player that you could think of. Because that is somebody who has his character and his morals in check. He knows that the most important thing is not self, it's country. And that kind of brings me to the topic that I wanted to discuss is the news note here. Eric, remember we had this conversation inside of the group chat before. Ah, yes, with uh, a certain retired quarterback who happened to play for one of our teams on this show, albeit recently. If you guys will grant me the discretion to say what I'm about to say without holding it against me. No. Too bad. I'm going to say it anyway. Brett Favre came out and said that once, his, once everything is done and it's looked back on, Colin Kaepernick will be compared to Pat Tillman in terms of what he did for the National Football League. I believe yeah. that was roughly the estimate of what Brett Favre said. Correct, Eric? Thereabouts. That was the general gist how they be look up equally as fondly for everything that they did and how not just the National Football League, but how history would look upon both of them in general for their sacrifices. Okay. Um, yeah. Brett, the very first thought when I heard that you said this was, shut the fuck up, Brett. Then I sat back and I thought about it for a few seconds. And I realized that, yes, we're getting actual change in the NFL now that players are allowed to speak more openly, that players are allowed to protest their causes without being looked down upon in the NFL. And the second thought that I had to this was, shut the fuck up, Brett. As much as I like to, Brett Favre, as much as I like put, Colin Kaepernick and Pat Tillman, I'm on your side. Pat Tillman did something that we had not seen in the National Football League in almost 60 years. You had people going back to the days of World War II. Thank you. With Colin Kaepernick, nothing against what he's doing, and especially me being affected, like on somewhat of a personal level with all of this, I completely understand it. But number one, he wasn't the first, and number two, let's face it, for the longest time he was ignored, and it took others coming after him. To focus on his message. With Pat Tillman, he focused on his message. 
He didn't focus on the message. He was the message. Thank you. With all due respect to Colin Kaepernick, who, yes, he has made a tremendous difference for the plight of the African-American NFL player. Absolutely. With that being said, Colin Kaepernick sat on his ass originally. Pat Tillman went overseas to serve his country. I don't think there's a comparison there. No, not at all. Randy, you've been silent. For good reason. I, just, I ain't touching the subject with the 10-foot pole. No, I, I don't think they're the same. I, I, I completely agree with you guys. Obviously, I, I ad, give admiration to Colin Kaepernick for what he was doing, and obviously he gave up millions of dollars as well, but it's not the same as what Pat Tillman did. Uh, Colin was out there using his fame to try to get a message out. Pat Tillman went, screw the fame. He wanted no notoriety, and honestly, I, I don't want to make this seem short-sighted or, or or anything like that, but if Pat Tillman did not tragically die, I don't think, sadly, that most of America would even realize he did it. And it, it took him losing his life for him to become honored the way he should have in the first place, I think, which is really sad to think about, but... But no, they're not the same at all. Yeah, Basically, like younger generations of fans would have no clue, and it would be the people like us to tell them had the ending been different. So, I got side with Randy on that one. I think Jason's working on a scratch-off over there. No, I'm playing Pokemon. Okay, well, step away from your Pokemon here, and I want to get your thoughts on this. You don't uh, have okay. to catch them all, Jason. Yes, I do. Not now. It, it goes back to kind of what I said a few seconds ago. Colin Kaepernick attempted to deliver a message. Pat Tillman was the message. Yeah, I mean, um, ever um, my my thoughts on Colin Kaepernick have been well documented on this. Uh, and feel, to, feel and free I, to check out our real quick. Feel free to check out our "Let's Talk About It" episode for more on that. I I think, like I said, I mean, I yeah i'm not gonna i'm not gonna enter that again because I, I don't i tend to just uh tackle subjects one at one time and like i said i mean harry said if you want want to know my true feelings on kaepernick go check out that episode um but um yeah he uh Favre's concussion and stu- stupidity is showing through uh do do I respect Colin for what he done? No, um, he did get the he got the conversation started, but then he put himself above the movement, uh, and I feel that um, because anytime he had a microphone in front of his face or everything, he cl- kind of clammed up when rather than address what what he claimed the movement was for. Uh, with that being said, Pat Tillman, I think had he's got the utmost respect for me, um, and you know Randy touched on it earlier, uh, you know, and yeah, I'm going to have a soft spot spot because when, when I originally brought him up, um, it was one of those things that uh, it was based on his off the field sacrifice did fit, factor into my selection. Um, so 
it, it's one of those things that I don't really discuss much. I, I cross bridges once, then I tend to burn them, scorch the earth style. <laughs> so, um, oh, we know about scorched earth. You're on the kickoff. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's it is what it is. Um, I don't think they're the same. I think they're um, uh, their messages um, were two different things. Uh, do I think if Pat Tillman hadn't passed away and he were to return to the NFL, how would we remember him? That is the ultimate question. I mean, he didn't want the notoriety, and his family has even came out and said that they they don't think that uh, Pat would have wanted the notoriety that he got. He was doing something that he felt was right, not for the attention, and I think that that makes him not only an outstanding uh, beacon in football and athletics, but also an outstanding human because he didn't do it for the glory or the notoriety. He did it because that's what he felt what he needed to do. And that's it all is I have like to- I said. It, it is like I said. It was done out of sheer morality. <clears throat> Excuse me. It was done because he felt it was the right thing to do. Without looking for any accolades, without looking for any attention, he walked away from a multi-million dollar contract. Randy, I appreciate your honesty in terms of picking Aeneas Williams and the fact that while you appreciate what Tillman did for the country, you don't necessarily view it in the same light. And I think that there's part of Pat Tillman that would appreciate you for picking Aeneas Williams in that regard. Mm-hmm. That being said, on behalf of myself, Jason, and Eric, we are happy to announce Pat Tillman as Arizona Cardinals' defensive greatest of all time, greatest of all teams. Let's move on. Let's go over to the Pacific Northwest. And we move to the Seattle Seahawks. I see you rolling your eyes already, Randy, uh, so we might as well start with you. Okay, hold on, hold on. You've already, you're, already, you're already fucking up. Oh, wait. No, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. I know, San Francisco, I know San Francisco is alphabetically next, but I'm saving and that discussion for last. That uh, you, you're, no. you don't go. Oh, wait, Los Angeles. I forgot. They're yeah. not anymore. My bad. Yeah. That one's on me. That one's on me. I forgot they weren't in Los St. Louis anymore. How could you even? I still call the, I still call the Chargers fucking San Diego. Leave me alone. I do too, so. I even still sing the San Diego Supercharger song anytime I reference them. Oh, God, right, that's, that's that my mind. Is just badass. All right, oh, allow God. me to rewind a little bit here. We move on to the Golden State as we head out to California and the Los Angeles, St. Louis, Los Angeles, St. Louis. Well, you get the picture. Rams. Um, you missed one there. <laughs> Wasn't there like a Cleveland in there somewhere? Cleveland, Los Angeles, St. Louis, Los Angeles. That is the proper historical order. All right, Mr. Historian, you're up first. One moment. What are you watching, Eric? I I don't want to know. I'm not watching anything. That's a phone intercom. All right, so... Eric has stepped away uh, unexpectedly because Mama Watkins came a calling. So, uh, Randy, 
Randy, we'll start with you. <laughs> what are we doing, offense first? Offensive first. Yeah. I, I wanted to take Marshall Falk so bad, but what Eric Dickerson did in his four seasons with the Rams, that 2,000-yard season in 84, yeah, wait, double-digit touchdowns all four seasons with the Rams, I wasn't here to pick him for the Colts. I would have picked Peyton Manning anyway. So I, I'm still with the rules here. So oh. I, I would take as a player for the Rams. Well, we haven't done the Colts yet because they're in the AFC South. Well, I still would not pick Dickerson for there. So there you go. But I saw Jason celebrating because this clinched his pick. Go ahead, Jason. Pile on the Eric Dickerson bandwagon. Yes, I am going goggles. Um, this is why I were. Uh, bought a set of spec goggles to play in Midget League footballs because of Eric Dickerson, because I was also a running back and I wanted to have a 2,000 yard season myself. But I don't think they keep those stats back in the Stone Age of me playing uh, Buddy League football. So um, I had it in my mind that I had a 2,000 yard season uh, thanks to Eric Dickerson's goggles that I, I purchased. So, yeah, I mean, I think Eric Dickerson, uh, with the honorable mention to Falk, I mean, Falk did do some some amazing things. And you also got to throw in. Don't yeah, say I'm not. I'm, I'm not going to say. And I won't because <laughs> I, I'm not going to pull a previous producer on you um, and step on any toes. But, yeah, I'm going to I'm going Dickerson uh, because, I mean, he was a okay. pure athlete and beast. I I will allow Eric to sing the praises of Eric Dickerson when he gets back because this officially makes it a three-to-one decision against me. However, I grew up a fan of The Greatest Show on Turf. And The Greatest Show on Turf gave the Rams something that Eric Dickerson never did. And Oops. that's something... And that's something for the trophy case. And the man who was responsible for that particular trophy, the MVP of that particular game, is my pick for the greatest St. Louis slash Los Angeles Ram of all time. And that would be Kurt Warner. I appreciate both of you guys selecting Marshall Falk as honorable mentions, because if not for Marshall, the greatest show on turf doesn't exist. Another honorable mention to the main wide receivers from that mm-hmm. partic- those particular teams in Torrey Holt and Isaac Bruce. Yeah, I, I, was a, I like Torrey Holt. I mean, surprisingly, I like Torrey Holt. Yeah, it's one Tory on the show. We actually talked. Never mind. Shut up, Harry. Did he get us? Yeah. Trouble? Anyway. That's one Tory on the show that won't ruin it. <laughs> I, I mean, depending on your sake of ruin and depending on what things could certainly happen, because if you pay attention to the conversations that we were being discussed, I could have made it a very pleasant experience for her as well as my family son. show. All I want to say is, Randy, that scared me because I had I was I caught that out of the corner <laughs> of my eye and I really thought your house was haunted. <laughs> he didn't see Eric sitting back down and rejoining the show here. But yeah, yeah I was obviously what I was talking about. I just seen somebody walk across the background of his house, and I was just set, and I just caught it out of the corner of my eye, and I was like, "His house is haunted." I'm not it looking. Is, There's going to be a ghost. He's going to be he's going to be attacked by 
uh, Annabelle or something here in a second. I don't want to witness it. Well, there have been stories around here, but um, moving on. Alright, so I've actually lost this battle already, Eric. Why don't you go ahead and pile on here? Whoa. I took the corner. You're in the you're in the majority here with Randy and Jason. I mean How's it feel to be it. how's it feel to be in the majority, Eric? It actually feels good for once. I could go into a store and I get the real price on things. But anyways. <laughs> I'm sorry. The look Randy is giving both of you right now, it's hilarious. Okay. Oh, so I'm reading the next thing, so I wasn't even looking. Sorry. Go, go ahead. Go, go ahead, Eric. Sing the praises of Eric Dickerson. 2,105 yards rushing, which NFL record in 1984. He was a member of the Pony Express at SMU before things went to shit. Unless we forget his playoff performances as a Ram pretty much helping to carry that team to where it was throughout the middle of the 80s. I mean, yes, he had, I wouldn't even say the bulk of his rushing yardage or his career solely as a Ram, but 7,245 yards and 56 touchdowns on 4.8 yards a carry, it's ED. Done. Well, he stepped away while Randy was making his point earlier. The place where he had the bulk majority of his carries, I don't think he's in consideration for their greatest offensive player. No, but then again, those years, let's face it, those were pretty crap teams. And in a city that they shouldn't even really be in, thank you, Ursay. (laughs) Yes, Baltimore, speaking of which, the Colts, Baltimore Colts would count with the Colts. But again, I think we're all going with one specific Indianapolis Colts for that selection. You'll find out in three weeks. Oh, dot, 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 question mark. Stay tuned. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Is this going to be Randy's first dramatic reverb? That's where we we pick Marshall Falk, right? That's what we were going with? Dun, dun, dun. Dramatic reverb. All right, let's move over to the defensive side here. And I'm going to go first here. Because once again, I'm going to be the current homer. My pick for greatest offensive player was more modern than your guys's. My pick for greatest defensive player for the Rams is more modern than your guys's as well because it's a current player. This is based solely on potential and the fact that he has been as dominant as he has been over the course of the last three seasons. My pick for the greatest Rams defensive player is Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald. I have seen him single-handedly change the momentum of games. I have seen him single-handedly change teams' game plans when playing Los Angeles. I have seen him dominate entire offenses over the course of a season when it comes to sack leads and everything such as that. Correct me if I'm wrong, Eric. The 2018 NFL sacks leader was... Aaron Donald. But for everything that you said leading up to this... I offer you three words. This motherfucker's spitting. Continue. Continue. Go right ahead. You'll understand why I say that. And for those of you who know the meme, you know where I'm getting at. I don't I don't think I can follow that. So I'm going to stay with my pick in the current era. However, I am once again outnumbered here. 
Jason. I am going Deacon Jones. Um, it was it was really hard because uh, I didn't want to go a current player, and like like Harry said, his potential. I want to go on you know what he contributed to a team, and the only name you could, you could really come across is Deacon Jones as in the top ten uh, players for for the Rams. Uh, he was a force on the field, and he was a scary motherfucker. He was also a WrestleMania participant. And was on the Brady Bunch. And he was black. What? No, that, not, I mean, not, make, not making that joke on this episode. Moving on. I mean, I mean, you know. I saw Randy nodding his approval when I made the WrestleMania Battle Royal reference. Yeah, Randy, you... uh, any, any football player that was in wrestling, except for Steve Mongo and Michael, I have respect <laughs> for. But no, I, I'm with them too. I got Deacon Jones. Obviously, young kids aren't going to know him. I obviously didn't watch him play live, but I'm going to see look up the stats. According to Wikipedia, he was credited with the term sacking the quarterback. Uh-huh. Uh, who knows if that's true or not? Yay for Wikipedia. But he he played way before the, the sack stat was even there. But if you go back and, and tally them all up, he would be third all time in sacks. But he doesn't get any recognition because technically he has zero because that wasn't a stat back then. It was not I a believe- stat until 1982. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what would you what should you hashtag that, Eric? Ah, uh, that is one of those uh, famous trademark. You love them, you miss them. It's a hashtag. Squid fish. You need it, you love it, you can't live without it. All right, Eric, sing the praises of Deacon Jones. I'm out number three to one again on this one. Eight-time Pro Bowler, five-time First Team All-Pro, third-time Second Team All-Pro. Back-to-back Defensive Player of the Year, 75th Anniversary All-Time Team, 100th Anniversary All-Time Team, the 1960s All-Decade Team, and his famed blue and white number 75 retired. Yes, we had the Minister of Defense, but before him we had the Secretary of Defense. You talk about Aaron Donald changing the momentum of games. Deacon Jones changed the momentum of the damn rule book. Okay, that's a fair Donald wouldn't have want that smoke. I'm sorry. <laughs> Let me ask you guys this. If he continues at the pace that he's on right now, does Aaron Donald surpass Deacon Jones in Rams franchise lore? Eric. It would be close. But, yes, he could. Randy, I saw you shaking your head no. Uh, honestly, it all depends on how people remember history. I think younger kids would think so. Uh, and as as older generations start dying out, then, yeah, of course, people are going to think Aaron Donald first. But Deacon Jones changed the game with the way he played. So I, I don't think there's anything Aaron Donald could do unless he surpassed the all-time sack lead by a good margin that would have me put him over Deacon Jones. Jason, same question before we move on to Seattle. No. 
I mean, it's fair. It's, it's all a matter of opinion here. The reason this conversation becomes relevant <laughs> is because we actually had this conversation about a specific player a couple of weeks ago when we did Baltimore and we discussed Lamar Jackson's impact on the Baltimore franchise. Yeah, and and we didn't take Jackson because uh, I think we, we needed to have that criteria. You have to be in the league for uh, X amount of years. Uh, now, I think I think um, he can move up the list, but I don't think he'll ever surpass Deacon. And that's a fair belief. You're more than entitled to your opinion. The, the and you're reason, you're more entitled to be wrong, Carrie. It's okay. Everybody's wrong once in their life. This is just your once. The reason why I say there's potential, Donald would have to bring the L.A. Rams a championship. He would have to have some sort of an impact key moment fourth quarter in a Super Bowl for that to happen. If he I... goes his entire career and he doesn't, then it's Deacon Jones all the way. Done. I would I would argue that Aaron Donald and that LA defense has got that franchise within ten points of a Super Bowl championship in the past. And if their yeah, offense had what happens with teams within ten points of a Super Bowl championship, don't make me bring and, out Robert Taylor on here. My right. my point being if his offense hadn't shit the bed completely in that game. We could have been talking about the Rams as Super Bowl champions just a few short years ago. And if Scott Nor if Scott Norwood wouldn't have pushed it far right, we would be talking about a Bill uh, Super Bowl. Right. So if let's Ray move Wycheck on. And they hadn't have thrown that pass in uh, Tennessee against Buffalo, the Jaguars would be talking about a Super Bowl championship. But our case is empty, isn't it, fuckers? We're, you've heard of the Brady Bunch, Randy? We're the bitter bunch on this show. I'm not I bitter fit right in. As a, as a Jess fan, I can fit right in. Is okay. it true that you really love the Browns because their dumpster fire, you can radiate from the warmth of that to cover up your own? Because I've heard that before. I, I'll root for any team to be worse than us. Let, let's tackle the, the, the highly controversial last team of the division. That um, this no. is we're, we're going. This is controversy. No, oh well, yes, they're not the last team. No, they're not the last oh. team, but there is some oh. controversy here because yeah, we still got to go through Seattle. Fuck. Uh, there is some controversy here, Mister Twitter Man at W two M Chairman. We have a tie in in it, Seattle. Seattle, offensively, we have a tie. It is me and you against Eric and Randy. Eric, I will allow you and Randy to make your argument first. Uh, okay. How many Super Bowls have the Seattle Seahawks appeared in? I don't know without looking it up. I'm guessing three. 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 I think it's, yeah, I think it's three. You're correct. It's three. Who was the quarterback for two of them? Uh, Russell Wilson. You're correct. Because even though, yes, the team focused on defense, built him one, they did not really get him what you would call a ton of help at receiver. This man 
more than Matt Hasselbeck, more than one Dave Craig papered up a lot of cracks with this Seattle team. I can't think of anybody else who accounts for every single offensive touchdown one way or another except for one the entire course of his season. No offensive line, only for a while a decent defensive line bolstered by a good secondary. If it came down to it, it's like, hey, you go out there number three, come from NC State and Wisconsin, you take your whole pack of badger ass and win us this game. And damn it, he did or came close. It's Russell Wilson. Yes, Steve Largent with his 100 touchdowns and 200 games. Don Hudson had 99 and only 114 in a days where you couldn't throw the ball and an incomplete pass that sometimes had a five-yard penalty attached to that for the offense. Yes, I account for all that. Russell Wilson. Done. All right, Randy, chime in here. Back yeah, up Eric's right. point. Absolutely. I mean, if the MVP award was given to what it should be as the most valuable player, which if you take that player off the team, how bad would they be? Russell Wilson would have won it once, if not twice. It's He is the offense for Seattle the last few seasons. No running game, no good receivers. The offensive line, the four of us add one other person, we could be their offensive line. It's been that bad. It's just been... We're going to put the money on the defensive side. Russell, you are our offense. And the things that he can do to to save plays for somebody that lives in the Northwest and is so sick of Seahawks fans thinking that the Legion of Boom is the greatest defense of all time, and they drive me absolutely nuts. I have more respect for Russell Wilson than almost any other quarterback in the league for what he does with so little on that team. Uh, it's just been fantastic. And again, it's no disrespect to, to Steve Largent, who is – was very famous here for a long time and one of the only shining spots for the Seahawks back in the old kingdom days. But I mean, Russell Wilson is next level as far as quarterbacks go. Jason, you ready for some statistics? Yeah, let's talk statistics. Let's talk 200 career games played with 197 of them being starts, which means durability. Let's talk 819 catches, which is consistency. Let's talk 13,000 yards, which is dependability. 13,089. To be specific, I was just about to update that. Thank you very much, though. Let's talk 100 career touchdown catches, which is reliability and explosiveness. Game changing potential i know i i know i championed the modern athletes for the los angeles rams franchise i know i championed kurt warner on the offense and i championed aaron donald on the defense i respect what russell wilson has accomplished as the starting quarterback for the seattle seahawks but if you ask me what russell wilson's most memorable moment as the starting quarterback for the seattle seahawks is it's getting intercepted at the end of the Super Bowl and the loss to New England. That was on Pete Carroll and Malcolm Butler. He didn't want to that, get beat on his damn skittles. You can't blame Russell for that. Russell had, Russell could have audible. He could have been a team leader and audible out of that. 
was a team leader when Jim Zorn was throwing him the damn football in the milk commercials. Yes, the dumbest coach of America, Jim Zorn. Yes. Really Eric, want to go there? Eric, Eric is really grumpy. Dude, don't make, me, don't make me take you jogging in South Alabama. First of all, I'll gladly go even jogging in Brunswick first. Second of all, I'm sorry. 65.4 receiving yards per game on 4.1 catches per game and 16 yards per reception. Don Hudson, whose career touchdown record he broke, 68.9 yards per game, 4.2 catches per game, and those 99 touchdowns also had 16.4 yards per catch overall. Come on! And who the hell remembers Bobby Abair? I got a question. Who's in the Hall of Fame and who isn't? Yeah, only because Russell Wilson's still playing. He's ineligible at the moment. Thank I you. think he's. Do you do you really think Russell get in the Hall of Fame? Because uh, I don't. I, I don't. I'm going to disagree with you here, Jason. I think Russell's a Hall of Famer. I don't think he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, but I do think he's a Hall of Famer. I think here's my my last point, and it's only based off of something, Harry, you said about dependability with Largent. How many games did Largent miss in his career? Three. How many has Russell Wilson missed? I don't have that number in front of me. Zero. None. None. And that man has not had an offensive line almost entire career and has yet to miss a game. All right, I'll admit that's impressive. How long has Wilson been playing for? Eight seasons. Um, I'm looking at Steve Largent's career here, and it's 14. And how many playoff appearances did he have in those 14 years? Seven games. Seven games, four playoff Uh, appearances. And and I'm sorry, Harry, I can't take the the year conversation from you when you just picked Aaron Darnold and his three seasons. (laughs) I'm not going to sit here and deny that there's. <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and deny that there's a little bit of a bias in that regard. There, no. Okay. I, I think. I think the thing with Largent though is the fact that, to me, like I said when I was discussing it with you guys earlier, the standout moment of Russell Wilson's career, like it or not, is the interception at the end of the Super Bowl against New England. Yeah, how Can I point? I just want to point something out. I want to point something out about Russell Wilson. Quick, quick timeout. I. I'm a photographer for an Australian rules football team here in town, the Jacksonville Saints. Last year, they had their big event in the Australian Football League, their championship, the grand final, where the Richmond Tigers whooped ass, won by about 70 points over the greater Western Sydney Giants. What did everybody liken that to when they were looking for comparison? 43-8. to Who won that Super Bowl 43-8? to Russell Wilson. Seattle. Yep. I'm just gonna point this out. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna throw out Russell Wilson is is negative eighty four. I don't get that reference. Negative eighty four what? <laughs> you don't want to talk about his you wanna talk about how durable he is? He's negative eighty four. Behind a much better quarterback. I'm still not sure what he's referring to. Eight seasons, never missed a game. He's still 84 games behind 
The consecutive games played record? Yep. He'll catch him. So, 84 games, right about 16. So, you think he don't think he's going to miss a game in the next five and a half seasons? No. You never know. I, I can't. But I, but to not miss a game in these eight seasons under the, oh, oh. the duress he's been under and how many times he's been sacked, I give him credit for it. But no. I mean, he's no Eli. About consecutive games no, record? I mean, really, if we're going to go that deep into things, you really want to bring up Jeff Peoples? You really want to bring him up? I mean, Russell Wilson's no Eli in durability, but I digress. So yeah, let's go to the, the fact side. That Russell I, I mean, Russell was never... to win Super Bowls and actually gets into playoffs without winning them and has a Russ... more than 500 record. Wait, 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 wait. I can, I can, I can pile on for this one. Russell was also never benched by his coach in a regular season game. Yeah, Geno Smith has actually remained a backup quarterback under Russell Wilson. Fuck Geno. Hey, nobody, nobody said uh, McAdoo was a, a, a genius. <laughs> um, have have you have you posted the poll, Jason? Not yet. I'll, I'll post it first thing in the morning because I'm All trying right. to I'm trying to wrap this up because I need to get in bed. All right. The poll will be posted to the at W2M chairman account. I'm sure he'll probably add his own personal account as well. We do need to get back here because we have we still have three more positions to get to, and the show is coming up on like an hour and 40 minutes. So let's get back to it. We started recording right, right before 1040. Yeah, we're at a roughly hour 41. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on. Let's go over to the defensive side of the football for Seattle. And, Eric, you start us off. Now, with what we've been saying about the Legion of Boom, I get it. But, I mean, honestly, Seattle, up until these recent years, hasn't really been known for defense. Let's call it for what it is. Looking back at the history, my pick for best defense or greatest defensive player, Richard Sherman. I'm about to piss off Randy even further. My pick for greatest Seattle defensive player of all time, Richard Sherman, number 25. Jason? Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and uh, third that. Uh, just just throwing it out there. Uh, so, sorry, Randy. Richard Sherman wasn't even the best defensive player on his team. Expand. Earl Thomas was better. Cam Chancellor was better. An honorable mention to Earl Thomas, although he's gotten more than enough coverage this season on this show to last him. I gotta ask him. We we don't want to talk about Earl Thomas's other stuff, but (laughs) oh, we already did earlier in the year. (laughs) (laughs) No, Uh, I'm not going to take anything against Richard Sherman. I think he's great. He is. He probably wins for trash talking. That dude is good at that. I'm not going to he's a fantastic player, but my pick was, again, an older school player. It's Cortez Kennedy. Again, what Eric said. Uh, I, I, I could get on board with that. 
Seattle wasn't. Yeah, Seattle was never known for their defense, except for Cortez Kennedy. He was it for a long time in Seattle. And again, for Richard Sherman, Earl Thomas, Cam Chancellor, all of them for Seattle, they all had each other. There was 11 great players on that defense for many years for the Seahawks. It was just Cortez Kennedy in the 90s. Correct me if I'm wrong, at the Riz. No, just at Randy Isbell. Yeah, literally, I tweeted him. I tagged him in my tweet thread Sunday morning. (laughs) My apologies for that. New guy, I'm still getting used to him here. That's right. Uh, As far as the whole trash talking for Richard Sherman thing, yeah, here's the thing about that, though. With Richard Sherman, Richard Sherman had that Darrell Rivas effect on teams with defense. He wishes. Quarterbacks intentionally avoided Sherman the same way they would avoid Rivas. When you had your star receiver lined up against Richard Sherman, you knew you weren't going to get much out of that receiver going into a game against Seattle. Because Sherman was going to shut him down, or the quarterback was not going to take the chance of throwing against Sherman and having Sherman pick him off. And, I saw until, the hand go up. Until teams realized all you had to do with Sherman is play your best receiver in the slot. Because Sherman only stayed on the outside. Revis went everywhere. I won't disagree. I do think that Revis is a better cornerback than Sherman mm-hmm. is as well. And again, I'm not going to like throw a, a huge fit. I mean, Richard Sherman, obviously a great player. I still don't think he was the best player on his teams. But, I mean, to, and I think that's why I went with Kennedy. It was tough for me to pick somebody on the Legion of Boom. That's a fantastic defense. Greatest defense of all time? No. But I get it. Me, so I'm not, I'm not going to throw a fit. How can you be bad at trash talking when you have a communications degree from Stanford? Right. <laughs> I want to point out the irony of the fact that there have been four three-to-one decisions on this episode, and it's only been me or Randy on the opposite end of them. Y'all love your islands. Specifically, Revis, apparently. Revis Island, absolutely. Segway! Thank you, Eric. Let's get to the the, the fun one. Uh, Yeah, because this one's about to cause some bitching from yours, truly. With honorable mentions... To one that you guys are going to discuss as well as Steve Young. My greatest San Francisco 49er offensively of all time is arguably the greatest wide receiver in NFL history. Terrell Owens was not that good. <laughs> Where's my mute button? Well, I mean, hey, uh, he could still keep up with the Tyreek Hill, so... Suck it, Taylor. Anyway, my greatest San Francisco 49er offensively of all time is Jerry Rice. Yes, I know Rice played in other teams. Yes, I know he was an Oakland Raider. I apparently learned he was a Denver Bronco for a while. I had no idea. You're welcome, America. Hashtag Squidbit times two. But to me... more Steve Largent's number 80 in Seattle. Here's the reason I picked Jerry Rice rather than the one that you guys are going to select in Steve Young. Because through that change from going from the first quarterback to the second, the consistent thing for both of them and the man that held that offense together was Jerry Rice.
Now, you guys are welcome to triple team me here because it's about to happen. I saw your picks. I know what's coming. But to me, look, look you, again. When, I'm flattered, but you know what triple family team show. That's like four. Anyway, when it comes to consistency, when it comes to the dynasty that was the San Francisco 49er franchise, the most consistent part of it was Jerry Rice. All right, and who was throwing Rice the ball? Uh, Well, that depends on what year it was, because for one of those rings, it was young. Okay, but thank you, Jason, for setting me up. Um, let me ask you, was he on the Niners' first Super Bowl team? Rice? Yes, Rice. Was he don't on the Niners' so. first Super Bowl team? Hmm? I don't believe so. He was not. Was he on their second Super Bowl team? I think he was. No, he was not. They won in 84, he was drafted in 85. During his first Super Bowl with that team... Did he catch the game-winning pass? Uh, Dwight Clark did, correct? Nope. John Taylor. After number 16, oh, all a third-round pick from Notre Dame, looked up into the stands and said, hey, there's John Candy. He was the one who threw to Dwight Clark who made the catch in the NFC Championship game at Candlestick. When they beat Dallas, yes. That's right. And then they beat Cincinnati in the Super Bowl. They beat Cincinnati again in the Super Bowl. They He beat Dan Marino in the Super Bowl. Tore the Dolphins defense a new one in Santa Clara in the second half. As that was a 16-13 game at halftime, that went on to be a blowout. Not Does Jerry Rice Houston. have a video and game name after him? bit for Taylor. Look at what he did when he left. After they wanted yes, him to does, stop actually. grooming Steve Young and went to Kansas City, creating an epic moment against John Elway, throwing that pass on Monday Night Football. And careful. Eric's pick, therefore, Eric's pick is Joe Montana. Does Jerry Rice have a video game named after him? I on think the he Sega does, Genesis. Actually. On Sega Genesis. I don't know if it was out on Sega. I think it was on Super. It might have been on Super Nintendo. But anyway, continue. Joe Montana is. Does does Joe, did Jerry Rice get com, compared to a redneck from Louisiana in a, in a um, football movie starring Adam Sandler? No, but Joe Montana did. That's Joe Montana. No, given all the respect possible to Jerry Rice, Joe Montana is. And was the definition of quarterback in the 80s. Go ahead, I Randy. I can't, I can't follow Eric's all that, but I'm just going to say, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Eric's, Eric's rant was impressive. I can't lie. And Jerry Rice should have a football game. It was Jerry Rice and Nidus's dog football for the Wii. Just so you know. Oh, God. I, I almost want to take back that argument. The Wii, except for Wii gaming and all of the free shit that you could get on it. I, I, I want to take. I, I want to take back my comment about Rice having a full, uh, having a video. <laughs> it doesn't, that doesn't help your argument, Harry. Not not especially. No. Go ahead and pile on for Joe Montana. So here's the thing. 
It's really close, and I, I get where Harry's going from. I, and just looking at the stats, I almost want to flip flop. I almost do. Don't do for it. For the fact Don't that Jer- I'm not, I'm not. But but you just look at Jerry Rice. I mean, ten first team first team All Pro in eleven seasons. Mm-hmm. That's I mean ridiculous. I, I was actually surprised Joe Montana only had three. All well, Montana was also up against Troy Aikman for a lot of his years in San Francisco, too. But he was... And Phil Simms for the Giants. Yes, I got yes, the Giants was yeah, just surprising to me for how many Super Bowls he won. That. He didn't win that many. And, um, that, one, and that, that one year that Jim McMahon didn't suck in Chicago. Right. So, I mean, I, there are multiple wide receiver spots, so I guess that, that helps, too. But, Jer- I mean, if, if I would have lost this 3-1 to one and I was picking Joe Montana... I don't think I could throw that big of a fit. Again, Jerry Rice had one ridiculous season, and most of it being for San Francisco. I mean, what, 16 seasons? Yeah, 16 seasons in San Francisco. Joe Montana was just there for 13. But I, I mean, Joe Montana is, is football. He is – if you ask anybody that, that doesn't know – or anybody that's over the age of 40, I'll say, that doesn't really watch football, you say, name a quarterback. I'd say 80% of them say Joe Montana first. And and I got to say this. Yes, I had Jerry Rice in an extremely close second. And I gave my honorable mentions to both Steve Young and even the OG of OG San Francisco quarterbacks, John Brody. But Harry, and this will go particularly to you because we talked about him off air. Scotty Farrell himself said. Oh, God, don't. No, you're going to make me flip if you use him. Well, but but here's the quote that he used, and this was on an NFL, like an NFL network show. Montana leaving San Francisco was like Jesus leaving the tomb. His words. Well, and until Steve Young just resurrected everything and continued to win. So, but... Hold on, hold on, hold on. Actually, I think he said, but Dan, I I can't go that deep. I can't do his voice. (laughs) I used to be able to when I was younger. I can't do it. It hurts now. I'm still really sad that the radio stations in in my local area changed things up, so I only get uh, Fox Sports Radio. I used to get CBS, or is it the other way? No, you're right. Yeah, yeah. So we don't have CBS anymore. But anytime I was... Anytime I was in the car at night uh, with with my girlfriend and his voice would come on, she would laugh until I changed it. She, his voice, every time, would get her to crack up. Because you're listening to Pharrell on the bench. It, it's too gruff. I can't do it. Mm-hmm. You know, he was an, actually a professional hockey announcer for like two, three seasons. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on. I think this one may have been unanimous, and it's an easy way for us to end the show, so we may as well do so. San Francisco defensively, Randy. It's Cortez. Where am I at? Uh, it's Cortez. Where are we at? Right, yes. I was on the wrong page. It's Ronnie Lott. I've, I'm over here reading something else, and I got distracted. It's Ronnie Lott. I mean, it, I don't think that's a question. Eric, San Francisco defensively. One of only two men I have ever known to willingly amputate a finger so they could keep playing, Ronnie Lott. Jason, San Francisco defensively. 
Uh, I'm just going to come up with some bullshit. Pretty easy one to go on. Okay, so he actually he stuck with it. Yeah. Three, two, one. He's looking up some bullshit. I can see him smiling on his phone. <laughs> no, actually, I'm not. Not actually, I'm not. I'm going to go ahead and. This was clearly unanimous. I mean, there's no doubt. Yes, there are other players who made significant impacts in San Francisco. There is one particular player that comes to mind who made an ass of himself post football. But while he was with the Niners, Bill Romanowski was a force. But to me, when you think San Francisco 49ers defensively, the conversation starts and ends at Ronnie Lott. I mean, I've got some. I mean, I've got some uh, mentions. I mean, uh, I mean, you could you could throw. We could throw out. an honorable mention out to Richard Sherman now that he's a 49er. There you go, I'm Randy. Here. That one was I'm just out. for you. I'm out. See ya. <laughs> you ain't even right. When are any of us right? Come on now. Yeah, that ain't even right. I mean, you know, Haley was was solid in San Francisco. Was it Haley more known for Dallas though? That's what I was gonna say, but he was he was more known for Dallas. Um so but yeah, I mean Ronnie Lott is pretty much the the standard bear of San Francisco forty nine football. There, there weren't a lot of unanimous ones. I think this and Fitzgerald were the only two unanimous for this division. And we do have a poll for you to vote on over at W2M Chairman on Twitter, where you can say who you think is the greatest Seattle offensive player of all time, either Russell Wilson or Steve Largent. I'll be curious to see how that results next week when we do the show. Five votes already cast. Scoreboard? 3-2. Oh, so obviously the conversation's rolling deep over there as well. It'll be interesting to see who comes out on top on this one. Randy, where can people find you online? All right, just find me at Randy Isbell on Twitter. I don't use it very often, but I'm trying to do it more. And Facebook, Randy Isbell as well, I-S-B-E-L-L-E. Yeah, and a new gaming podcast that I'm doing with a guy named Jens Dietrich, um, Chapter Select, if you want to look that up. Where where can they find that at? Uh, all podcast stuff, YouTube, all the WTM stuff. Okay, so it's a WTM podcast as well. All yes. right, cool. Eric, where can people find you online? At Squid Sports Head on Twitter. I have all sorts of things that I've got going on. I'm trying to get back into the process of live calling games. And if you find me, I have just did a whole big tweet thread about my ideas, NBA college football that I mentioned tonight, things that are going on with Super Rugby, so you can find me there. I'm attempting to do other podcasts here on the W2M Network. Stay tuned for that, and if you want to talk other things like tutoring or things like that, you can find me on Facebook at Eric Watkins. Always remember, animated guy holding a glass of wine in the recliner. Now, if you happen to find me on Twitter and you don't like me talking about Super Rugby, but you want to slide into my DMs for a vetting process, 
then you will get access to my dark Twitter, Snapchat, Telegram, that's where things are really popping, etc. And always these plugs are brought to you by the fine people at Rick's TNT LLC, affiliated with Dun & Bradstreet, website coming soon. For those wondering, Rick's TNT is, it's Eric. Shh, they ain't supposed to know <laughs> their words. <laughs> kayfabe, kayfabe, kayfabe. Jason, where can people find you online? Uh, as Harry mentioned earlier, you can find me on Twitter at W2M Chairman, uh, where we do run our our polls to break ties here on the show. Uh, if you want my personal, it's at TurkaGlue822, and I'll go tell you to fuck yourself at least once a day if you uh, do add me. It, it kind of comes with the territory. Um, and pretty much that's it. Um but if you do add me on Twitter, uh, feel free. Avid fantasy football uh, player. Uh, answer a lot of fantasy football questions that I don't get to talk about here on the kickoff. I do uh, rely on my Twitter for fantasy football uh, questions, advice, and everything. And I'm pretty active on there when it comes to fantasy football. So uh, either at TurkaGlue822 or at W2M Chairman. If only we, can, we could have had a fantasy football podcast on this network. If we could find a producer, we might be able to put one together. If, I, I, if somebody, if somebody was allowed to be be on a fantasy football podcast, I wonder who started that podcast a long time ago on this network. <laughs> the OG is wondering here. All right, Addie. <laughs> At ATB the Eagle on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I don't use Snapchat, so fuck that. But pretty much any of the major online resources with which to communicate, you can find me at ATB the Eagle. Harry Broadhurst on Facebook, obviously. If you want to talk wrestling, you can join the chair shot. If you want to talk wrestling on a one-to-one basis, by all means, feel free to slide into my messages. I'm willing to talk wrestling, football, sports with anybody, as long as you can give me an intelligent conversation and not be a douchebag. In addition, um, once again, I was going to plug his GoFundMe, Eric, the GoFundMe that the family set up. Sure. But not even 24 hours after it was posted, the goal was already reached. Plug it anyway. Uh, just going to have to search for um, Eli Thomas on GoFundMe. Send me the link. I will gladly add it to the description. It's only fun. All right. Tom Troll Jr., Known to us local wrestling guys is Eli Thomas. Known to us local collectible guys. <coughs> Sorry. <clears throat> Speak for a second, Eric. Yeah, getting a little choked up, which is understandable. But for something like this, we are also going to add a link to our conversation we had about testing protocols and everything for the NFL. What do you know? The chairman actually being professional for once. Thomas E. Troll Jr., known professional wrestling circles in the area as Eli Thomas, known to the collectible fans in this area as the owner of Two Sweet Toys. I bought many an action figure off of them myself. Rest in peace, good brother. The world's a worse place without you in it. 
You have been listening to The Kickoff, a presentation of the W2M Network online at W2Mnet. In addition, you can find us on all of your favorite podcast services such as iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spreaker, Podbean, CastBox. Hey, Eric, guess what? Spotify is here. And this record. And Mark Emmert's a dick. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week with the AFC West here on the kickoff, a presentation of the W2M Network. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.